Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. All right, so I want to let you in on a little something about me. Uh, This is not something that I'm particularly proud of, but I am not the most graceful or the most gentle person in the world. Some would call me clumsy. Andy says I'm like a bull in a china shop, or I'm, everything I do is smash bang, as he puts it. <laughs> and so it's probably more true than I want to admit, but I am a little clumsy. And so a story I'm going to tell you today was a story that involves that. And I know that some people think that clumsy people are clumsy because they're not paying attention to what's going on around them. But I like to think it's because I'm trying to do so much as efficiently as possible, and sometimes that just ends up in a little mishap. Well, a a day probably like eight and a half years ago, would have been before we were here, Andy and I were at our previous church, and it was just one of those days. Like, do you ever have one of those days that just seems like you should just crawl back in bed, go to sleep, and start over? Well, it was one of those days. I woke up late, And so it started my day off wrong, which always starts your day off wrong. And then I spilled my morning coffee all over myself. I ran out the door. And so at lunchtime, when I went to go have lunch and pull out my lunch, I realized I left my lunch at home sitting on the counter. And it was also one of those days at work. Like it seemed like every email I sent that was supposed to have a super important attachment attached to it went off without the attachment attached. And I had to resend my emails. Like I said, it was one of those days. Well, on this particular day, I had to be home by a specific time. My babysitters needed to leave, and I had somewhere to be that night with my boys. So I didn't have a moment to spare. I needed to be home by a specific time. So I knew what time I needed to leave by. But here's the deal. I was pushing the limits just a little bit. But I still knew exactly when I needed to leave to be able to get home to beat the traffic. And so I packed up my stuff, and I was almost on time, and I was running out the church building out into the parking lot and in this particular church building had a large parking lot in the front and a large parking lot in the back and so I run out to the front where I usually parked and I stopped and I realized because I didn't see my car that I parked in a weird spot that morning I parked on the side of the building outside the youth room because I had dropped some stuff off as I came in that day and so I had two choices in that moment I could either run around the building or I could cut through the building, go through the youth room door, and get to my vehicle. Well, it was raining, cats and dogs. It was absolutely pouring. So I made the choice to go back through the building to go through the youth room. And so I turned around, and at this point I am late. So I'm running through the building, and I go to run through the youth room door, and the door is locked. And so I realized as I checked everything that I didn't have my youth room key with me. And so again, I had two choices. I could either run back the way I came, or I could go out this little door that was on my left that was like an emergency exit door, like a fire exit. And the problem with this is, is that this door sat at the top of a hill, a super, super steep hill, but at the bottom of that hill was my car. And so I had a choice, again, to run the way I came or go down that way. So I decided to go outside and go down the hill. And like I said, it was pouring 
rain. And so I made it about a quarter of the way down before I realized I was in trouble. I, my feet started slipping and sliding. Like, have you ever seen that scene from Scooby-Doo when he tries to start running and his feet are slipping? Mine was the opposite. I was trying to stop, but my feet wouldn't stop. And before I knew it, my feet flew up in the air and I landed on my back and I slid the entire way down the hill. The entire way. And even when I got to the bottom, I was embarrassed. So what did I do? I jumped up real fast and I slipped and slid and fell back down. It was a mess. I stood up, and finally when I stood on two feet, I was covered in mud. And this wasn't intentional, unlike Katie. I did not want to be covered in mud. I was covered in mud from the bottom of my feet, up my back, through my hair, to the top of my head. I was a mess. I looked like I had been in a mud fight and lost. Let's just say I didn't make it home in time. (laughs) And so on that day... I learned an important lesson. The easy way is not always the right way. And what I decided to go that day, what I thought would be the easy way. And isn't that often true for our nature? We often have the tendency to go the convenient and the comfortable way, uh, to act sometimes without thinking. And so it's true when we're running late. Sometimes it's true when we're at work. And in today's passage, it's true in our relationships. So if you're like me, you love the people who love you. You love the people who make you laugh, the ones that are kind to you, the people that are there for you when you need them, the people that babysit your kids when you're in a pinch, right? We love those people because those people are the most like us. And... It is, comes rather easy to love them most of the time. But as we can see in today's passage, we are not just called to love the convenient and to love the comfortable. We are called to love our enemies. And so even as I say that, even as I say the phrase, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. I feel like there's a lot of us in here and even online that end up in two groups in two groups of people. One, you sit back, you relax, and you go, Woo! This one's not for me today. I can take the day off because I don't have any enemies. Or the second group who sits back, crosses his arm, and says, This one's not for me today, because there is no way I could actually love that person. And so before we get overwhelmed and before we get just just blinded by such a tall order, I think we really need to break down what this passage is actually talking about. I think we need to break down what this passage actually says. And I think the first thing that we need to look at is we need to look at who is our enemy. And so when I was looking at who is our enemy, the first one of the places I looked is I actually took a look in the good old Webster to see what the dictionary had to say about an enemy. And the, uh, the definition was defined like this. An enemy is defined like a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something, something that harms or weakens something else. And so that paints a picture with a pretty broad stroke. Someone who's hostile or opposed or something that weakens or harms something else. And so even if you're still sitting there thinking, wondering, is this actually for me? There's one thing that I think we all need to remember. Is that 
I truly believe that if Jesus chose to put this in his message, where he was hitting all of the important things in life, where he was building a blueprint for us to live by, then I can only come to the conclusion that this is for each and every one of us. And so maybe you have that person in your life. Maybe you have that person in your life that's just a little hard to love. Maybe you have that person at work who's like literally actively opposed to you and hostile. Or maybe you just have a jerk boss. Or maybe you have that horrible neighbor that you just don't get along with. Or maybe your kids have that teacher in the fall that everybody dreads. Like maybe that's the person that's in your life that's hard to love. But today, today I want to take it a step further. I think that God's actually calling us even deeper. Maybe your enemy is a little closer. Maybe your enemy is in your friend group, in your family, or even in your own home. Often the enemies that are the hardest to love are the enemies that are the closest to us. See, Jesus said in Matthew 10, your enemies will be right in your own household. Because often the people that are hardest to love are the people that are the closest to us or have been the closest to us at some point. And so they are the people that are the closest, close enough to us to cause the real and actual harm, the real and actual hurt. And so if you're sitting here today, maybe you're thinking there is somebody. There's somebody that was a former friend. Or maybe it's even closer than that. Maybe it's a spouse or a mother or a father or a brother or even a son or daughter. Because we know that the people that are the closest to us are the people that have the opportunities to hurt us most, to create the greatest wounds. And those wounds might be fresh and new, but those wounds also could be from a long time ago and unhealing and very traumatic. And so now that we have an understanding of of who our enemy might possibly be or could be, I think we also need to look at What does Jesus mean by love? Like, what exactly is love? And so maybe you know this, but in other languages, there's often multiple words that people use for love that in English we just use a blanket statement, love. See, in Greek, there are four different words for love used. And in English, we just say love. Whether it's tacos or whether it's your husband, you just say love. And so that today, we're going to break it down a little bit, and we're going to just look at the different types of love in Greek, because I think that's really going to help us to understand exactly what Jesus was saying here. And so um, the first type of love that I want, want to look at is storge, storge. And storge love is the family love. It's the love that, a, that a, a parent has for their child or a child has for their parent. It's instinctual. It's natural. This is the first type of love that we experience in life. The second type of love is eros. This is the romantic love. This is the, the spicy love, if you will. It's the love that a husband and wife should have for each other. The third type of love is philia, and it's a real affectionate, deep friendship type of love. It's a love that is deep and growing over time. This is a type of love that we have for our nearest and our dearest in our life. And the fourth type of love is agape, agape love. It's the sacrificial love. It's the love of kindness and goodwill. It's the Christian love. 
It's the Christ-like love. The, if When we have this type of love for somebody, it means that no matter what that person has done or how they treat us, we choose to love them. We choose to have agape love for someone and not allow bitterness to invade our hearts. And so when we look at verse 44 where Jesus says, but I say, love your enemies, agape is the word that's used there. Agape, a sacrificial love of kindness and goodwill. And so something super important to note here is that Jesus never actually calls us to love our enemies the same way he calls us to love our nearest and dearest. It's not the same word. It's not what he's calling us to because he's not expecting that of us. And so how are they different? Well, with other types of love, it's a love of the heart. It's a growing love. It's, it's, in some ways, we might even say, like, it's a love that can't be helped. It's a falling in love. But in the case of our enemies, love is not something of the heart, but it's also something of the will. And that's a very, very important distinction. It's having victory over something that which we naturally, that was something which we naturally want to do. Let me say it again. Like, loving our enemies is having victory over something that we naturally want to do. It's taking the long way around when really all we want to do is take that shortcut down the hill. So agape does not mean a feeling of a heart which cannot be helped. It means a determination of the mind. Agape is the power to love those who we don't like and may not like us. And when we say that and we understand that, and we understand that it's different, it seems more attainable, at least to me. And so, I know you might be sitting here and thinking, though, okay, Carrie, you said that uh, our enemies might be the people that have been or are closest to us, and yet you're saying that we need to have agape love for them, which is like a sacrificial love. And I'll say, yeah, because when somebody, even no matter how close they are to you or how close they have been to you, when they've wound you in such a way, we naturally move them from our nearest and our dearest to our enemy. And it's in that moment we have to choose to love them, even if it doesn't seem natural, even if it doesn't seem okay. That is when we have to choose to love them in a way that's a determination of the mind. And, uh, and I know... You might be sitting here thinking, okay, Carrie, but you have no idea. You have no idea what they've done. And it's true, I don't. But the thing is, is Jesus does, and he still chose to include this here. Jesus knew exactly what your life would entail, and he still chose to call us to love our enemies. And so... Now that we know what it means, like who is our enemy and what it means to love them, I think that there's three things that we need to look at when we're looking at what it actually means to love our enemies. There's three different areas that I think we need to keep in mind. And the first thing I think that we need to remember and the thing that we need to be aware of is that it's not about them. Loving our enemies is not about them. It's not just about them. See, in 2022, I know, I know that it's almost like popular to carry bitterness against someone else. Like we live in a world that is like a cancel culture. We live in that world. 
And so no wonder it seems so backwards when we hear something like this. When, no wonder it seems so backwards when Jesus calls us to love those who've hurt us those who've messed up, those who've caused pain. But the longer I live, the more I've come to realize that it's not about them. It's also about me. Because when we choose not to love we choose, and we choose not to forgive, we are choosing bitterness and anger to occupy our hearts, not Jesus. And when we, when we choose not to love, we are allowing the heaviness of that pain and that bitterness weigh us down, not the freedom of Christ to lift us up. And so let's read that verse again, starting with verse 44. It says, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. So it's hard. It's hard for us to be true children in our father, of our Father in heaven when we are willingly carrying around the bitterness for someone else. It's impossible to genuinely lift our hands in praise and worship to the king and yet bitterly hang on to the anger that we have in our lives. And it's, it makes it impossible to have that freedom when we're focusing on the bitterness and the hurt. You see, there's this particularly just heinous form of punishment that the Roman Empire was known for. And they were known for a lot. I understand that, like crucifixion, obviously. But there was a lot of other punishments that the Roman Empire was known for. And there's this one where um, some say that the, the phrase dead weight was actually coined from. And what would happen is when someone created, or they, they when they... Um, committed is the word I was looking for, when they committed a particularly like heinous crime or they murdered someone else, what the Romans would do in punishment is they would literally take a corpse and they would strap it to the back of the criminal. And they would chain it to the back of the criminal. And that criminal would have to be, walk around in a walking punishment for the last few weeks of their life. And I can only imagine as that, that corpse would decay and rot, that it would leach just like poison and sickness into the, the criminal, to it leach the poison and sickness into their bodies, which eventually would cause their own death. And I know that that's a horrific image, but I think it's a perfect image of what we do when we allow bitterness to run our lives. That, that's an that's a, uh, image of what happens when we hold on to that bitterness and that anger and that unforgiveness. We not only allow the original transgression to hurt us over and over and over again, but we allow that bitterness and that anger to stay strapped to our backs. And at that point, that means that we must carry that weight. And you see, it's not about them because in, freedom, in forgiveness and love, there is freedom and healing for you. With living a life of love, living a life of love even for our enemies, we are living a life of a higher calling because Jesus calls us to a higher calling in this life, people. We are living a life for a higher calling that might not make sense to this world, but it makes all the sense to the kingdom. 
And so I know I said that it's not about you, but there's also something else, or sorry, that it's not about them, spoiler, but it's also not about you. Loving your enemies is not just about you. Um, Let's take another peek at the passage because it says it right here, starting with verse 45, halfway through 45. It says, For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and unjust alike. If If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So like I said, friends, we are called to a life of a higher calling. We have been called to love because that is what Jesus does. We have been called to love because Jesus gives to both the good and the evil. He gives to both you and your enemy. He gives to both to the Christian and the atheist. And he does this because he is good and he is gracious and he only does good things. And we are like, we are, and if we are to be like Jesus, then our actions need to be like Jesus too. And man, what a witness. What a witness to the world around us. What a witness of his love, of his transformation, of his agape transformational love in us and through us. God is good, and his actions are always good, and we are to be like him. And so if loving our enemies is not about them, and if loving our enemies is not about us, it can only bring us to our third conclusion, that loving our enemies is always about him. It's always about Jesus. And so I know, I know, I know, this sounds like a super churchy answer because the answer is always Jesus, but for real, that is exactly what it's saying here. It is always about Jesus because he led the way. He led the way in loving his enemies. And so we're going to pop over to Romans, and in Romans 5, 8, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we're going to jump down to verse 10. And it says, For if, while we were God's enemies, so pay attention to that, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So, while we were God's enemies. You see, before we knew Jesus, he died for us. While we were still his enemies, Enemy, he died for us. He showed us the ultimate agape love, a sacrificial love. When Christ died for us, we were his enemies, and thank goodness for that. Because when we choose to love, we are being like Jesus. When we choose to love our enemies, we are being like Jesus. When we choose to love those who have hurt us, we are. Are being like Jesus. When we choose to love those who don't deserve it, we are being like Jesus. And friends, no one gets a pass on this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you don't get a pass on this because it is a commandment that Jesus gave us. He commanded us to love our enemies. He commanded it not only for me, but He commanded it for you. He commanded it for every single one of His followers. And I know, 
I know that it can seem like it's almost impossible to love our enemies. And you know what? On our own, it is. That's not something that we can just white knuckle and, and just like give it a lot of grit and do. Like we have to let it happen through the, out, the overflowing of God's love. Like through the inner working of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. It is only in that that we can actually love our enemies. And so there should be a freedom in that too. That it's not, it's not just on us. That Jesus gives us everything that we need, even when it comes to loving our enemies. And so we are going to close in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I do want to take a little bit of a left turn here. And I want to scoot back into the Old Testament. And we are going to take a look at the story of Moses. And in the story, there's a specific verse that I want to look at. And where, like, the time frame of where it is, is, like, when God comes and he shows up and he meets with Moses and he's in the form of the burning bush. Um, and that's when he calls Moses to go back to Egypt and lead his people out of captivity. And after that story, there's this one verse that I've always had, I've always struggled with a little bit, a little struggled to understand. And that's what we're actually going to look at. It's Exodus chapter 4, starting with verse 21. And it says this, And the Lord told Moses, When you arrive back in Egypt, go to the Pharaoh and perform all of the miracles I've imp- that I've empowered you to do. But this is the part we really need to pray, pay attention to. But I will harden his heart so that he will refuse to let the people go. So that's the verse I always had a little bit of a hard time with. The part that says, but I will harden his heart so that he will refuse to let the people go. Like, I didn't understand, like... Why? Like, how is that good? How is that good that God hardened his heart? How is that even free will (laughs) that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? But the more I've studied this verse, the more I've come to understand it, um, it's made me realize that it, it doesn't just apply then, but it also applies to us today, especially when it comes to loving our enemies. See, what happens is in this verse, Pharaoh is faced with the one true God. He is faced with the will of the Lord. And in that moment, the knowledge of the Lord becomes known. And when the knowledge of the Lord becomes known, there's only one or two of two things that can happen. One, in that moment, when the knowledge of the Lord becomes known, you can reject it, you could run from it, and your heart will be hard. Or you can align yourself with it, with God's will, You can submit yourself to it, and your heart will be soft. And so that's exactly what happens here. It's not that that God literally was like, zap, Moses, now you have a hard heart. But what he does is he makes himself known. God reveals his character to the Pharaoh and his right to, to rule. God reveals his character and his right to rule, and Pharaoh's response is to continually reject God's right to rule. And because of that, Pharaoh's heart becomes hard. And I think that's exactly what can happen to us when we are faced with loving our enemies. We can either reject it and say, no, not today, not for me. And in that, we are faced with the knowledge and the will of the Lord and our heart becomes hard. 
Or we can choose to submit ourselves to it, to have that agape love. And in that moment, our hearts will be soft because we'll be submitting to the will of the Lord and we will align ourselves to what he is calling us to do. And we say, Lord, even here, even here in my life, you have the right to rule in all areas, not just in the convenient ones. So how exactly, how exactly do we do this? Like, yeah, we understand, okay, so we all might have an enemy and what it means to, to love that enemy, but how do we go about doing this? And so to figure that out, I think we just need to look at the verse one more time, just verse 44, and it says, but I say, so Jesus is saying that, don't forget that, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that's what we do. We pray. We pray for our enemies. We pray grace. We pray love. We even pray blessing over our enemies. And here's the thing. Nobody can go on praying for a person and still have hatred in their hearts for them. Like something happens when we go before the Lord and we bring a person before the Lord he does something in us in that moment. Because nobody can go on hating another person in the presence of God. The surest way to kill that bitterness and to kill that anger and to kill that hatred is to pray for the person that we are tempted to hate. And so for me, this was something that I had to work out in my own life. When I left home, this was something that God highlighted so much. Like maybe some of you had a chance to hear my testimony um, on Easter Sunday, but I had a pretty rough upbringing and, and by the world standards, I had the right to be angry. I had the right to be bitter. I had the right to have hatred, but by God's standards, he was calling me to something else. And this was something that he just put his finger on and said, Carrie, I, I want this. Because the person that was on the receiving end of it the most for me was my mom. And I had so much bitterness and so much anger because of my childhood. And, uh, but God was saying, no, like I want that. And, and so in that moment, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I, after reading this passage, I knew that I was called to pray. And not just pray like, oh Lord, help her to come to know like the evil things that she does or like help her to like feel, you know, like the justice of not, that's not what God was calling me to pray. He was calling me to pray grace and love and blessing and joy and for her to understand and know and even having a glimpse at the loving grace of Jesus. And so that's what I did as I prayed and it took like weeks that I kept praying for her and praying for her and praying for her and in that God did something in me and he just broke those chains of bitterness and anger and even that like label of victim and he broke those chains in that and he started to shift the anger and the bitterness to to compassion and love and then after a while, I knew 
God was calling me to take it a step further. And I knew that God was calling me to call my mom and ask her for forgiveness. Because regardless of what happened or regardless of that, I, I know how I treated her in my heart. I know how my actions were. I know how my words were. I know what my thoughts were. I knew what was going on in my heart. And even after coming to know the Lord, I still held on to that very, very tightly. But after he was working in me, I knew he was calling me to something greater, that higher calling. And so I actually called my mom up, and I called and was talking to her, and I asked, specifically asked for her forgiveness. And no, I don't know if she quite understood exactly all of the reasons I was doing that. But in that moment, I felt like a physical weight shed off my back. I just felt like those literal chains break. And besides coming to know the Lord, like hear me out, besides coming to know the Lord, there has never been a more transformational moment in my walk with Christ than this. This is what made the rubber meet the road. This is what showed me what true freedom in Christ was, what true grace in Christ was, is. Like, this is that moment, and I will forever be thankful for that. And so, folks, I think that's what God's calling us to do today, is he's calling us to pray. And so over this last week, I've been seeking the Lord and, and just really praying about, like, what is it that he has for us today, church? And I felt pressed that he wants us to pray over two things. One is, I believe he's calling us to a prayer of release. And so what I mean by that is that we, sometimes we don't want to let go of that pain and bitterness and anger because it feels like the only thing that we have left, the thing that we have control of when those pains and those hurts happen. But we need to be willing to actually give that to God and to release that to God. And so I believe he's calling us to a prayer of release. And the second thing I believe he's calling us to is a prayer of blessing. And that prayer of blessing I, isn't for us, but it's actually for the person that you have the hardest time loving. A prayer of blessing in such a way, to be able to pray for them in such a way as if we are praying for ourselves. Because that's what God calls us to. It might seem impossible, but through him it is possible. So church, can I have everybody up on your feet today? And if this is something that God is doing in you, and, and whether it's in the past or it's in the now, um, I just ask you to just put your hands out in front of you today. All right, let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, for going before us and showing us the ultimate example of love. Thank you, Lord, for giving up your life, your perfect, spotless life, while we were all still your enemies. And Lord, help us to remember that we are redeemed, that you've given us everything, that we lack nothing in our lives, Jesus, when we have you.
So, Lord, I just pray even now that everybody in this room or online, Lord, that they are able to just hold their hands out and say, we give it all to you. We give you all of the hurts, the anger, the bitterness, the hatred, all of those things that we've held on to, those, those labels of victim and the, the, the ashamed or whatever it is, Lord, we give it to you. And even now as I pray, Lord, I just have this image of chains falling of bondage breaking. And so, Lord, we give it all to you. And, Lord, we lift up those ones in our lives that are hard to love, those ones that don't make sense to love, those ones that don't even want to be loved by us. But, Lord, we lift them up to you, and we pray grace over their lives. We pray the loving grace of Jesus over their lives. We pray your love over their lives. We pray their your blessing over their lives, Lord. We even pray abundance over their lives because they are your creation and you love them. And if you love them, then we are called to love them. And so, Lord, we pray that today in your name, Jesus. Amen.